0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Core Four Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, alongside GBB Live, the 3D podcast, and the Starting Five podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than Nate, the Chess Pass Chester. Nate, it's been a while since it's been me and you.
1: Parker, my life has gotten markedly worse since the last time we did a podcast together. I go without you for nearly a month, and now I have COVID. Yeah. Um, it, it, correlation does not necessarily equate causation, but um, it, I, the facts are what they are. Yeah. Uh, the reason
0: why that we have podcasted separately a lot lately, well, for one, you know, work that that sometimes gets in the way of podcasting. And the, uh, with this condensed season, the Grizzlies are playing a little more often. So it's tough to get, you know, podcasts out when, you know, there's a game that night so you can get cold taped really quick. But also, too, I've been uh, running the show a little bit over at GBB Live a little bit. So wanted to give Nate that freedom to run the core forward, get whatever guests he wants, talks about whatever topics he wants to talk about. And he he did a great job filling in. So I really appreciate that. And so, Nate, we are starting the second half of the season tomorrow. The Grizzlies will be playing the Washington Wizards to technically as this podcast is recording. It's tomorrow, but it'll probably be live on Wednesday morning. And you know, it's 40 games in 68 days. That's gonna be a lot. I know this is kind of working backwards from the from what I've sent you, but what are you watching for the most in the second half of the season?
1: There there's not really many uh question marks as far as the Uh, current rotation of guys who have played this year. The easiest, most obvious one is what the heck is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to look like. Um, There's still no timetable as of this recording for when he's going to return. That could possibly change with media availability. But um, first off, you want to know when he's going to get back. I know a lot of people are disappointed that the first injury report from Grizzlies PR after the All-Star break um, didn't give any update. It didn't say he was questionable or anything the way that many of us were hoping that he would be. And Jaron's the one who's going to make or break this for the rest of this year. I think the schedule is too difficult and too condensed. Even for a team that Neil Simmons and Zach Lowe were discussing on a ringer pod earlier today, how the Grizzlies are the deepest team in the NBA. They have 15 legitimate NBA rotation players they can call upon even with that depth I don't think they have enough in the tank to be able to get through this stretch and one of the toughest schedules remaining in the NBA to make the playoffs unless Jared Jackson is at least what he was last year and they may need a little more than that. He has to be somebody who can elevate the defense. He has to provide his normal blend, the prolific three-point shooting, his ability to create off the dribble. He will open things up so much more for John Morant than he was experiencing here over the last couple months. Um, But Jaron has to be Jaron in order for that to happen, and that's still very much up in the air.
0: For sure, yeah. So – I'm guessing we'll hear more about it after the Grizzlies practice tonight as we're recording. They will be speaking to the media around like 7.30. It will be Coach Jenkins and about two other players. But, yeah, that's going to be one of the bigger things to watch for going forward is what happens with Jaron Jackson Jr., but also just what he looks like. I'm expecting that there will be more clarity with him getting more getting a practice in or so. I didn't really expect him to be back that first game back from the all-star break, just because it's fair to say, okay, let's see what he looks like in a practice and some live action, all that stuff. That that's totally fine. And also, too, you're playing a Wizards team where with this exact lineup, you beat them pretty soundly on their home court. Granted, it's the NBA, always a new day. They got two, arguably, well, one superstar, one guy who can play like a superstar on any given night with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. You obviously can read between the lines of who I'm talking about when I characterize each player. And it's going to be very interesting to to say because I know in today's roundtable, I would actually said, I don't think Jaron will look like the Jaron from last year or even what we saw in the bubble until like mid-April. But that's the thing is if you can have him somewhat back to normal by then, And, you know, where he's looking like that unicorn that we always talk about, the the 6'11 Clay Thompson, is Joe Moenax likes to say, in the middle of April, that's when things get tough. And that's ideally the time where you need him because not only does he open up stuff for John Morant, but he unlocks so many different lineup combinations. You know, it gets Brandon Clark more into a rolling position because he's not really getting to be featured as a roller next to Jonas Valanciunas and Xavier Tillman it will also open up opportunities for Kyle Anderson to play the floor next to him or justice Winslow to play the floor next to him. And we haven't seen what this offense looks like, especially when it comes to opening up for Jaron Jackson, Jr. With Desmond Bain and his three point shooting in the lineup or this new sharp shooting D'Anthony Melton that is in the lineup. I know we'll get to that here shortly, but I, I think If I had to take a guess, I think he'll be back by the Warriors series next week, Mm -hmm. next week in that Friday, Saturday. I would hope that he would be back by then. But do you have any sort of expectations beyond the fact of, oh, the Grizzlies need him to be Jaron from last year if they want to survive this stretch?
1: For the Grizzlies as a whole or for Jaron specifically? For Jaron specifically. What are your expectations for his level of play? Here's the the thing about it. Don't get me wrong. I've always been on the team of exercise caution, take your time. If it takes longer than some people are expecting, they'll get over it in time and everything. But so Justice Winslow comes back against Phoenix. I guess that was, what, three weeks ago now. Um, And it took him several games to shake the rust off. And he's still shaking the rust off. He's still not the player that he was in Miami two years ago. And, but what was so encouraging is that he looked good. He was moving mm-hmm. around well. There was no laboring. There appeared to be no pain of any kind. And that was very encouraging. It was vindication of sorts. Uh, the Grizzlies medical staff knew what they were doing. But I remember the takes that were flying those first two or three games when he couldn't have hit water if he fell out of a boat. It was, <laughs> it was a travesty to watch. It was some of the worst shooting from an individual NBA player that I had ever seen. But here's, I think the downside to being cautious with Jaron is you've kind of sold people on this idea that we're taking this slow. We're going to make sure he's absolutely right so that he can hit the ground running once he comes back. And I think if he comes back and struggles for like three weeks to a month and you're going to have a lot of really pissed off and discouraged people out there, and I don't know if that's avoidable. Maybe that should be expected because it's going to take time to acclimate him. It's going to take time to shake off the rust. And Bryce and I were talking about this last week on the core four pod. So like, would you agree with me? Like if you go to Subway, you make a deli sandwich. If you put more meat on the sandwich, it always makes the sandwich better, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, an NBA team is not a subway sandwich. It's not as simple as, oh, we're playing so well, so let's add another potentially star caliber player right on top of it, and our level of play is just going to exponentially rise. The Memphis Grizzlies are much better with Jaron Jackson Jr., don't get me wrong, but they're not just going to hit the ground running. It's not all going to come together so cohesively right at the beginning it's going to take time for the team as a whole it's going to take time for him to find his footing in the starting lineup around new faces that were not on the team in Orlando or on the team last year as a whole what I want to see is essentially what you said. I want to see him at least get back to the point where he was in the bubble this past year. And the Grizzlies need to be playing their best basketball by April. When they enter into that final home stretch of games where it's it's make or break time, we've got to win a certain amount of games here. They'll hopefully be able to control their own destiny at that point. But we need to win a certain amount of games from this stretch on in order to make the playoffs. That's when you want Jaron Jackson playing his best basketball.
0: Yeah. I will say to one of your points, I don't think necessarily the whole of we're going to have Jaron out rehabbing longer to ensure that he can hit the ground running when he's back. I think it's more of, okay, we're going to take our time with these guys to make sure that they're going through like a recovery process that can enhance injury recovery, not just for the short term, but for the long term. Because I mean, Jaron, he's 6'11 without shoes. So on the basketball court, he's about seven foot, seven one. That's a big guy, and we know the long history of what could happen with lower leg injuries for big men, especially big men that rely on finesse and playing perimeter and stuff like that. I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, I know the site manager from the Mavs Moneyball SB Nation site was like, yeah, basically told told us, like, yeah, you're doing it right. Look at Christoph Porzingis. He's a shell of himself defensively. So I'm f- like, I'm fine with what they're doing for injury prevention, but yeah, they need to be having him playing his best basketball around that April mark, that May mark, just to ensure that they're going to make it to the play-in. They have a nice cushion. There are three games ahead of New Orleans who they're one of the wishy-wash most wishy-washy teams in the entire league.
1: They don't they don't scare me, they don't bother me unless
0: they're playing the Grizzlies, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like if they played the Grizzlies every game, they'd make it into the playoffs at large, no play in I, tournament, but yeah. I mean,
0: and then you have <laughs> Oklahoma City, who they're in the asset accumulation mode, they're probably gonna find some way to get off of George Hill and expedite their tank a little bit. Sacramento, there was an athletic piece saying that they're in a gap year, and then Houston and Minnesota, I think. Speak it for itself, just look at the rosters that it's just not, they're not going to make the play in.
1: Yeah, uh, one quick interjection. So, how, I'm trying to think of the right word to say this, like how sharp was the falling out between Al Horford and Boston? I have no idea. Yeah, b- because I, I have will, no idea why Horford has not come up as a trade chip to return to Boston this year. Yeah, it fits in the trade exception for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but.
0: One thing I'm specifically watching for in the second half of the season, it's more of a, it is a short-term thing, but it's a long-term thing. And that's just the whole situation with the two-guard spot, which it's been chronicled on Grizzly Bear Blues, on podcast, on Twitter. You have Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain, and Grayson Allen. One of those players will be out of the rotation in a healthy man rotation. And I'm specifically watching how this all affects Dylan Brooks when you know everyone's back and not I'm not saying he's going to fall out of the rotation, but you know De'Anthony Melton is shooting just as good, if not better, from three than Grayson Allen and Desmond Bain. I think great. I think Bain's higher in three point percentage than Melton, but Melton's above Grayson. All four of those players are positives for the Grizzlies in on-off numbers. They are at least – the Grizzlies are at least three points better per 100 possessions when those four guys are on the floor at any time. Granted, Bain and Brooks are both positives at the three and negatives of the two different discussion. Brooks has the worst three-point percentage of the four, but he's also one of the team's best isolation defenders. He only gives up .68 points per possession in isolation that's – 81st percentile in the NBA. And obviously Brooks has the advantage because they need size. You know, when you factor in this, you factor in the draft coming up, which I know we're going to have extensive pods to get about because you have like a dream of Jalen Green and, or Moses Moody, but you also even have guys like Corey Kispert, uh, Franz ba- uh, Wagner. I know he's more of a three, but he's still another wing to add to the mix. Uh, Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, James Boat Knight. You can go all day, different podcast. What would you say with this battle for you, Nate, that you're watching for the closest in terms of how they fit in the next iteration of the Memphis Grizzlies? Because I'm to a point where, and I put something on Twitter today about the Anthony Melton's just statistical comps to like guys like Drew Holiday and Fred Van Fleet. I'm almost in the boat where I want to see what De'Anthony Melton could do in starter minutes for about 25 to 30 minutes a night. I want to see what he can do in Dylan Brooks' minutes because I think there could be something unlocked there with him.
1: You see, the Grizzlies have kind of entered into this interesting dichotomy right now because they've stated like their long term, long term organizational objective for a season like this is talent evaluation. You want to see what you have top to bottom on your roster, especially at the wing position, especially at the two guard position so that you can best identify who will be a part of the core moving forward. The problem is and the downside of when you do a very good job of accumulating and evaluating talent is that you don't know who to choose and you've accumulated so much good talent on this Grizzlies roster, especially at the two guard spot. That there's really no opportunity to throw DeAnthony Melting, uh, Anthony or DeAnthony Melton into the starting lineup for 25 minutes a night because there's too many other mouths to feed into the rotation. What I think in an ideal world that would be the best opportunity for his development and to see what he is. Yes, but there's just no role, no opportunity for it, and no one is really rising from the pack standing head and shoulders above everybody else and also in an ideal world if the Grizzlies have a lottery pick for this coming draft or a pick just outside of the lottery they'll use it to select another hopefully younger high upside wing and like you said there are plenty of options for that the Grizzlies are going to have to make a move sooner rather than later and it's not going to be at this trade deadline I don't see any scenario where they move on from that. Kyle Anderson, as we've talked about in the past, would seem to be one of the first candidates to go. He's not one of these uh, this regime's guys. He was from a, a holdover from the previous regime. He's had a career season. Um, we'll talk about this here in a minute. He's my first half MVP for the Grizzlies, averaging 14 points a game, providing solid versatile defense, becoming an effective above average volume three-point shooter. That's great. But when you're trying to figure out who among these young two guards, who among these young wings that you want to prioritize going forward, he would seem to be the odd man out when you're trying to create more opportunity, when you're trying to create more opportunities and minutes for those other players in the rotation, the Anthony Melton, Grayson Allen, Desmond Bain, they all provide, um, unique skill sets that benefit the team. Grayson Allen projects favorably to J.J. Redick at this point in his career. And that's like J.J. Redick has been one of the best spot-up shooters in the NBA over the last decade. DeAnthony Melton, he compares favorably to Fred Van Fleet, to Drew Holiday. I talked about comparing him to Joe Dumars from the 80s Bad Boys Pistons. He compares favorably to players like that analytically and just by volume stat production at this stage of their careers. And then you got Desmond Bain, who looks like he's already one of the best pure spot-up shooters in franchise history. You can't go wrong in either of these directions by saying, that guy is going to be our two guard of the future. I, th- I see him starting against Ja Morant for the next five to 10 years. However, there's going to come a point where you've got to make a decision about whose development you want to prioritize. And it may mean moving off of DeAnthony Belton. It may mean moving off of Dylan Brooks at some point in the future. I hate the very prospect of letting go of Dylan Brooks because even if, analytically, he may not provide the same impact as, say, a De'Anthony Melton would. You got someone like Draymond Green right now who's averaging five points a game on 35% shooting, and yet no one would argue that he does not make the Golden State Warriors 10 times better when he's on the court. There's something to be said about Aura. There's something to be said about your attitude and how that affects the players around you. And I think everybody in that locker room would speak very favorably of Dylan in that way, but the Grizzlies will have to make a move here in the n- near future about whose development they're going to prioritize and the downside of player of talent uh, accumulation when you do that well is that when the time comes where you decide to part with one of your younger players it's going to be rocking you in the back of your mind did you make the right decision did you really let go of the next true Holiday or the next Joe Dumars if the Grizzlies decide to trade DeAnthony Melton it's those questions that'll keep you up at night
0: See, I, I know with Dylan Brooks, this isn't me hopping off the island or anything. I'm still planting my flag. I have the constitution of the six-part series in hand. <laughs> I do agree. He brings a different kind of moxie to the game and a different kind of swagger and energy to it. Like, he, his energy and just his will of, like, you know what? I'm just going to go create buckets and create, create opportunities and chip this lead myself. In that Milwaukee game, they didn't win – But that game would have been a flop if it wasn't for Dylan Brooks and what he brought to the game. I agree. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to say about those guys. And, you know, this just this isn't just us blog boys. Well, not really blog boys because, I mean, blog boys hate them too. But this isn't just me and you and Brandon Abraham and Connor Dunning liking Dylan Brooks. This is Bradley Beal. Zach Lowe said praise on Dylan Brooks. So as Dan Devine, JJ Redick, just a few names that come to mind that have spoken highly of Dylan Brooks. So granted it, it, I'm just trying to give myself closure to know that it could happen and that he is the one to really watch because like you said with Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks is the oldest tenured, the longest tenured Grizzly on this team. He's part of the past regime. So If something happens, I can see it being Dylan Brooks, but I do have a quick two-parter for you before we wrap up the show with our uh, MVPs of the first half of the season. First part, aside from Jaron and Ja, does DeAnthony Melton have the most upside on this team? And second, would you now throw Melton into the same territory as Brandon Clark of I'm not trading this guy unless I'm getting a star"?
1: So, first question, possibly. Let me let me answer the second question first. I can't say that about a guy. Say I'm not going to trade him when the Grizzlies are at times giving him DNP's. I just can't, in good conscience, say that because they obviously don't believe it's that. So they, frustrating I'm, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and like, do I think the Anthony Melton should be the first player pushed out of the rotation? Probably not. But by the same token, I don't know who I would like. Was Jared? I shot the rookies. You think Desmond Bain would be the first to go, or Till? Think- well, Tillman obviously. Tillman's the obvious, game. but I think, you know?
0: I think the choice should really be Grayson or Bain.
1: And I think you picked Bane in that situation. And I don't take that lightly. You and I very much appreciate Grayson Allen. He's been a phenomenal spot-up shooter. And like I said, he compares favorably to J.J. Reddick. It makes you, like I said, these are the type of decisions that'll keep you up at night. They'll bother you. And the fact that Grayson Allen would not be getting consistent minutes, or if you trade Grayson Allen and you start seeing him killing it as a spot-up shooter on another team, that's going to be something that really starts to bother you. As far as upside for De'Anthony Melton, uh, my answer to this question has really not changed that much in the last six months. My opinion of him has raised since the Orlando bubble. I tried not to be a prisoner of the moment back in Orlando, but he had about the worst nine game stretch that I have ever seen a rotation player have. He, he, uh, Averaged, I think, four points a game on like 25% shooting. Um, It's easy to say that he was playing out a role. He's not a natural point guard. So without Tyus Jones, he was going to struggle. I hear you on that. But if your NBA success is tied to Tyus Jones, maybe you're not that good (laughs) that was my thought process when it came back to Orlando and I even wrote back in the summer my player preview for this year if you told me he was out of the league in five years I would not be totally shocked by that I no longer think that's a possibility for him he's risen his floor in my eyes to the place where I said okay he is going to be a good quality rotation player no matter where he is whether that's in Memphis or elsewhere I still, I still don't know what he can be. I, I still don't really know. He's really tantalizing
0: because he's only 22 years old.
1: He's 22 years old. Um, I, there's just been so many young players over the years, and we're doing it with John Morant right now, where you think, oh, well, once the jump shot just starts to develop, he's going to be right there. He's going to be good. The fact of the matter is, like, most guards and wings, like – I think you can be, uh, go from a bad shooter to a mediocre shooter, but most don't go from bad ones to good ones. But it looks like you can say that about De'Anthony Melton from his rookie season in Phoenix to now that he has become a legitimate, good, NBA, serviceable, NBA spot-up shooter, both off the dribble and off the catch-and-shoot. And it's off the dribble that surprises me so much because when I wrote about him the summer before he came to Memphis – He was the worst pull-up shooter in the NBA as a rookie. and I remember the stat off the top of my head. Um, There was like over 200 NBA players that took at least his amount of pull-up jump shots per game. He took at least 2.5. He shot 16% on them. The only player who was worse was DeLon Wright <laughs> that year. He was just about the worst in that category in the entire league, and he's shooting 40-plus percent on pull-up jumpers this year.
0: Mm-hmm. He was at
1: one point the last time I checked it a couple weeks ago. That number may have it, But that number's probably not gone down after his game in Washington before the All-Star break. So, And he's shooting over 40-plus percent from three. You take his analytic impact, Mr. Do-Something, he makes the team better by just being on the court. Um, He's continuing to grow as a defender. He's among the league leaders in deflections each of his three seasons in the NBA to this point. I don't know. I really don't know what he can be, but it's something good. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so we're going to wrap up the show with this.
0: We have the same answer you kind of already alluded to, can
1: you just give me a quick, why is Kyle Anderson your first half MVP of the season? Uh, it's not going to be Job Morant. Um, I think they, the Grizzlies went, what, they go 4-0? They went 4-4 without, four four without him. 4-4 four and four without Job Morant. Like, job, don't get me wrong, very important to team success, but he's had his struggles this year. And, uh, you know, the Grizzlies were able to make do without him. Uh Kyle Anderson kept that team afloat when John Morant was out. He played a very key and pivotal role in taking on more of a scoring load. Uh, I think he averaged close to 18 points a game in those eight games when John was out during that time. And he has just been such a blessing with his renewed emphasis on shooting the basketball. Um, Just such a boon to the Grizzlies offense in a way that none of us could have really expected. We know his shoulder Felt better. We know his shot looked better, but it takes a change in mentality to really take hold of that confidence to be able to do what he's doing and alter his game the way that he has. And it's risen his upside, not just for the Grizzlies, but for his NBA career as a whole. And he's truly become an elite role player for this team. And when you get that type of help from unexpected places, that's how a team becomes better than they were projected to be. The Grizzlies have no business being at 16 and 16. 16 at 500 with all the injuries they've had this year, but you need players like Kyle Anderson to be more than you thought they were in order for that to happen. And that's why he's the Grizzlies MVP so far.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. It's kind of like a revelation so to speak, because there was a time last year where he was behind Solomon Hill in the rotation and now he's probably the third or second most important grizzly right now without jaron jackson jr in the lineup and i mean he's i kind of made the joke on twitter i think i made it on twitter i think i don't know but i called him half speed chris middleton (laughs) because uh just he does everything out on the court he and just that his outside shooting has just given him confidence in his game as a facilitator as a driver and more importantly as a shooter because i mean He's jacked up the volume a lot more. He's shooting about four threes a game at 38%. It's been so fun to see. And, you know, seeing player leaps and improvements like that, one of the many reasons why we love sports.
1: Mm -hmm. We like to see people overcome the odds and, like, overcome adversity to become more than they thought they could be. And that was something that, like, this was legitimately moving to me Um, I don't remember which interview it was in, whether it was post-game, pre-game, or whatever it was, his player availability, but he was talking about how instrumental Taylor Jenkins had been to his shooting evolution. He legitimately said, "Um, I didn't think I could do it, but he instilled that confidence into me, and now look at me. That's essentially what he said, and kudos to Taylor Jenkins that even at this level, you can push people to become more than they thought they could be even for guys who've achieved the highest level of athletic accomplishment that you can by making it to the professional ranks but you can still push them to be better men and better people And Kyle Anderson I think can honestly say that about Taylor Jenkins Mm -hmm. absolutely and Nate that's about all the time we have do you want to let the people know where they can find you you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com.
0: Absolutely. You could find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're reading our work at grizzlybearblues.com, and make sure you're liking and subscribing to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow the podcast on Twitter at the Core. Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And Nate, you deserve the honors this week.
1: That's all, folks.